temper tantrums to crying cancel culture are everywhere. In the news, on social media, and now even in our government. But what's really going on? A new podcast demystifies the panic and dispels the many myths about cancel culture. It's called Cancel Me Daddy. It's hosted by Caitlin Burns, the very first openly transgender reporter on Capitol Hill, and our very own Oliver Ash Klein, who's actually my producer here on Brave Not Perfect and one of the founding members of the Trans Journalists Association. Caitlin and Oliver Ash shed light on what they call the cancel culture grift economy, delving into the latest scandals, laughing at the most outrageous takes, and taking a closer look at whose voices are actually being silenced in these conversations. It's fascinating, funny, and often surprising show that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Subscribe to Cancel Me Daddy right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you might get canceled. Hey, it's Reshma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the show about breaking away from the cult of perfection and learning how to live your best life. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do a quick favor for me and everyone else who works so hard to bring you Brave Not Perfect. Our show has been nominated for a Webby. It's a huge, huge deal. And to win, we need your help. You can vote for us through the link in the description of this episode. It only takes a minute and it would be such a big help. So take a second right now and go vote. For today's episode, we're talking about spirituality, how to be brave when it comes to our faith and our beliefs, how to push back and make space for ourselves and communities that have historically been led by men and standing true to our beliefs when they've been weaponized for hate. Spirituality means a lot to me. I've been pretty open about my relationship with God and religion and how it plays a big role in my life. It's helped me get through some really hard times, from my struggles with fertility to uncertainties about my career. And if you're not religious or spiritual, that's fine. It's not for everyone, but I still think you'll enjoy today's show. Joining us today is the incredible Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She's been called the wonder kind of Jewish feminism and the Twitter rabbi. She's been on more lists about religious leaders to watch than I can even count. And she's written seven books. Her religious leadership is unconventional and it's filled with bravery. Before the Corona health crisis struck, we had an incredible conversation and I'm excited to share it with you now. So I want to talk about parenting and spirituality. So your most recent book, Nurture the Wow, Finding Spirituality in Frustration, Boredom, Tears, Poop, Desperation, Wonder, and Radical Amazement of Parenting. I um, I just had my second kid. Well, Ooh. when this episode comes out, I will have had my second kid. <laughs> um, um, and so... Yeah. I want you to tell me all about finding spirituality in poop. <laughs> so Judaism has a blessing for everything. Um, no, that's not true, actually. Um, there's, a, there's a whole, you know, first feminist and now, you know, queer and so many other kinds of critiques about what blessings are and aren't there in Judaism. But um, Judaism has blessings for a lot of things. 
And, um, you know, if you do everything right, you're supposed to say something like a hundred blessings a day. You know, the one the before food and the after food and the, and there's, there's a blessing for having a bowel movement in Judaism that is basically like, thank you, God, that all the things that needed to be open were open that all the things that needed to be closed were closed. Because if something that was supposed to be closed was open or something that was open was closed, I would not be standing here saying thank you right now. Um, and I had a bit of a revelation with my first, my first kid must've been like nine months or something, you know, like not a newborn. Um, and I was already ordained as a rabbi when I realized it was like, oh, this is the blessing for changing diapers. Like, the men who wrote the books in my tradition were not changing diapers and nobody actually thought to make that connection. It's so obvious. It's so obvious and it's not there. Um, but even, even the, 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 the diaper explosion that is a total disaster and, you know, sends everybody running for clean clothes, um, is a blessing because the things that needed to be closed were closed and the things that needed to be open were open. Um, and it's an opportunity for gratitude. It's an opportunity to say like everything is, you got to take in nutrition and everything came out the way it was supposed to. And that is extraordinary. And we're lucky. So Rabbi Dania, you know, religion is often dominated or a field that's dominated by cis men. Um, did you have to deal with any sexism from scholars, religious leaders not taking you seriously because you were, you know, writing about this connection between parenting and spirituality? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> for sure. I remember um, being, so my, my first book, Surprised by God, um, was nominated for this lovely prize. And the people who are connected to this prize do like a gathering every year of um, people who's, other people who are connected to the prize, the judges and the da-da. And... Um, I was at this conference, you know, it was like a conference of competent, like high level writers, right, <laughs> about Judaism. And I'm talking to a, an older colleague of mine, um, someone who's, you know, what is he, 20 years older than me? I don't know, dude, um, very prominent. And he said, what are you working on? And I said something about, you know, parenting as a spiritual practice or parenting in theology or something. And he immediately quotes the most trite line from Proverbs. And he's like, oh, there's your book. And it's like, you know, because of course, it's like, you know, I'm in a context where like we're assuming that everybody in this room is an intelligent person who has something meaningful to contribute, right? And it's like, it was, it, it was interesting to see who in, in my world was able to get that what I was doing was, essentially like very deep feminist theology written for an accessible lay audience and who was, uh, who just assumed that if I was writing about mommy stuff, it couldn't be very interesting and it couldn't be something that they would be interested in. And there were a couple of times when dudes, like some of the dude scholars who are my age on, would like post on Facebook, like, has anybody ever written about like, you know, this thing? Like I just had this idea and like, you know, like 15 women would write in like, Dania wrote that book. <laughs> that book has been written. Like you did not just invent this concept. Um, but, you know, the whole, the whole book started on the, the question, like how many mothers throughout history, um, how many theologians throughout history were mothers? And the answer is not very many. 
and we have more now, but you know, still there's this, there's this lens. And, and even though there are more men who are now doing the work of parenting, it's amazing, you know, how, how deep the sexism still runs sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you're, you're talking about that and conquering that. One of the things I also, you know, we talk a lot in this podcast about breaking through the cult of perfection, Mm. right? And that's so, it's so important for us as women to, to not pretend that we're perfect, right? And to, yep. and to practice that bravery muscle. You know, one of the things that I found fascinating is you've written a lot about how you had trouble praying after you gave birth. Yeah. And as a rabbi, you know, that's hard. And it's even hard to admit that publicly, mm-hmm. right? Because people always are looking for you to always have the answer all the time. Yep. So why did you open up about that? And how did people respond to a rabbi not being perfect? It, you know, it was interesting. I, I struggled with it a lot. Um, and I really took upon myself and I, you know, I don't think I, I needed to do this, but I I like made the choice to take on this mantle of like, you know, the sort of like egalitarian feminist and I can wear all of the ritual gear and all the things the boys can do. I can do too. And I'm going to do it. So that, you know, there was both the sort of crisis of my own sort of self, how, how I, you know, how I looked at myself. I had to sort of grapple with the gap between how I wanted to see myself and what was happening in reality. And then also the gap between how I thought other people perceived me and the reality. Um, but, you know, like I'm a writer and we have to say true things. And I was nervous about putting it out there because I was, you know, particularly coupled with the sexism. Like, you know, I thought anything else I might say might get invalidated if I couldn't prove that I was perfect. And I also knew that, you know, if I wanted to have a conversation about why this stuff is so hard and complicated and what's different... I needed to 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 name this. Um, I will say though, I did wait until I felt like I was able to feel a little clearer about what was different and what I had to offer, um, and that I didn't come from a place of oh god, I'm a failure. I came from a place of I'm no longer doing this thing that you expect of me, and I've found you know a different way, enough a different path in, and this is just as valid. And, you know, I'll own that there's less vulnerability in that, but that's the choice I made. Yeah. I mean, I think it's powerful, right? Because oftentimes when you're in a male-dominated field, it's harder to express vulnerability, right? Like we are, women are punished for failure and risk-taking in ways that men are, especially in fields where there's a lot more men. And put that on top of being a religious leader where you're seen as supposed to be having all the answers, you know, I think it's powerful. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that it seems like you listen as much as you teach, right? You know, what has that taught you, I guess, as your time as a rabbi, rabbi, and how has that shifted your perspective? I mean, you know, I don't know how to rabbi any other way. This idea that I would, you know, I'm like a human person, and I'm a human person who has a certain kind of spiritual practice, and so I can tell you, uh, you know, about, there's there are people who are brand new to spiritual practice, and I am not, you know what I mean? Like, I have some insights from that experience, I and there's, a lot that I draw from my tradition and from my whatever, but I, you know, I'm a human person over here. Um, I do not have all the answers and I can't like the idea that, that someone would be arrogant enough to assume that their ordination gives them, um, you know, the ability to invalidate another person's experience. Just like, I just don't see the world that way. Um, you know, when I was a rabbinical student, I did a, a training, you know, inten- very intensive training in hospital chaplaincy. And I would, there was this dude rabbi, this, this older man, older, you know, he was probably 15 years older than me. And I saw him work with a, a 
family once and he just like quoted verses at them. And it's like, how, how is that line from Proverbs or Psalms or whatever going to hold them? Like, you know, what people who are coming to a hospital chaplain need is space to cry, you know, and someone who's going to let them say true things. Um, and I guess that's, you know, my sort of my attitude towards the rabbinate generally is like, we all need space to say true things. And I have learned so much from the people that I engage with. Um, people have called me on my stuff and helped me grow and brought new insights. Um, and sometimes my job is just to hold space and, you know, let them do whatever they need to be there. Uh, Rabbi Dinah, do you have specific examples that come to mind about how this listening shifted your viewpoint or when you were called out and how that changed you? <sighs> let me think. Um, I'm trying to think of a really kind of good concrete example. You know, a lot of times the, you know, when I'm in a, in a place teaching text, a lot of the shifts are, are very subtle, right? Not, not, not getting called out, but you know, somebody will say, well, gee, at the end of this text, it's all pronouns. It doesn't say, you know, it says he said, and then he said, and then he said, why are you assuming that it's, you know, uh, Rabbi Yochanan here, and, blah, blah. and it's like, oh, if you read the text this other way, I mean, you know, there, there are insights like that that I get from people all the time. Um, there are larger things, you know, like call, when, when you say called out, I my, my mind immediately goes to Twitter, right? Because <laughs> that's what happens there. And there have been times when when my my insights or perspective has just been insufficient, and I'm so grateful to the people who helped me see that. Even sometimes, you know. Uh, those educational experiences have not always been comfortable or easy, um, but I've learned so much um, from people who have taken the time to say, like, that that is not helping. Like, when you phrase it that way, that is not being useful. I'm trying to think of a specific example. I mean, you know, there was one time when I accidentally retweeted a homophobic joke, and people kicked me for it, and they I deserved it. Um, it was a Trump and... Putin, but it was under the chuppah, it was under the Jewish wedding canopy, and I was like in a hurry, and it was like, there was, it was like from a Jewish point of view, it was a funny joke, except for the homophobia, and, you know, like I'm queer myself, but that, like, so what, you know, and, <laughs> and people rightly called me to the carpet, and I rightly had to own it. So to that point, I've heard you've been called like Twitter's rabbi, which I think is like, uh, you know. Awesome title. But, you know, Twitter's this really kind of, um, you know, it can be this very brutal marketplace of ideas, right? Where where mm -hmm. you say your truth and sometimes it goes off well and sometimes it doesn't. You know, what do you feel like is like the bravest thing that you've ever spoken about? And, you know, were you scared? I mean, I just heard you say like you kind of always say your truth and it gets you in trouble sometimes. But <laughs> is there an element of fear that's still kind of deep inside of you when you're about to say something you know that's incredibly courageous, but like 99% of people would never say? Well, I think there are things that I say on Twitter. I, I sometimes pause before hitting that send button, knowing that I'm a, about to kick a can full of angry people. Um, but I, nine times out of 10, hit send anyway. <laughs> Because that's just who I am. Um, you know, like I remember that moment. Uh, I started a thread on Christian Zionism and the sort of attitude of Christian fundamentalists who are really interested in occupation um, 
and taking over Israel so that they, we can bring the rapture and um, there's something kind of deeply anti-Semitic in their t- attitude. And, you know, and I was like, okay, my relationship to this application is going to be really unpleasant for the next minute or two if I actually start um, talking about this. Um, there have been moments like that. You know, honestly, Twitter has, has somewhat disincentivized my speaking personally vulnerably. I want to I want to say that I for a while was talking about my kids and then um, one of my kids was asking some questions about their gender identity and I periodically just post, you know, cute things that they say. And um, one of them became a meme, became a really, really nasty right wing meme, like mock me all you want. I get all of the disgusting stuff in my mentions. Fine. But um, my kids feel like they're off limits. And I realized at that point that wanting to sort of lift up awesome kids, you know, with potentially complex gender identities or, you know, modeling what parenting those kids could look like or anything like that, that is not, it's just not on the menu anymore um, because my kids should be off limits in that way. Um, I've written, so listen, hold on, should I talk about an essay that I wrote that was, that required bravery? Okay. I was just going to ask you about that. Yep. So one of the hardest, one of the bravest demanding pieces I wrote um, was about having a miscarriage. Um, Not because of talking about the fact of miscarriage itself, which feels like it's not a taboo in the way it maybe was however many years ago. And that feels like for me like a very easy taboo to break, but because it opens with me talking about the fact that I wasn't sure if I wanted to get pregnant with third time to begin with. And that there was a lot of agonizing about, and so I've mentioned a few of the threads that were happening in my marriage at the time about whether or not to try to get pregnant anyway. And I wasn't sure, and I basically took a leap, and then I got pregnant right away, and then I panicked. And I was not sure if I had made the worst decision of my life. Um... And had a, you know had a lot of tears and a lot of a lot of fear around the fact that I was now pregnant, um, and then you know sort of like there's a different level of feelings when I realized we sort of found out at the first ultrasound uh, that you know uh, the fetus was already non-viable, um, and you know and there was some stuff in there about like not keeping you know, the second day of a holy day in the perfect way because I was busy going to go have my DNC on the second holy day of Sukkot. And, you know, <laughs> I like, was on my phone that day. And like, you know, there was, so there was like some religious stuff, but a lot of the like talking about feeling ambivalent about getting pregnant and making the choice to do it anyway, that felt wildly scary and vulnerable making. Um, and yet this was the true thing. This was just the reality. But um, the words that needed to be written were the, were the true ones in the end. And I sort of, I'm one of these people that feels like once the words are actually on the page, then they're real and, and they're there and, you know, they're, they're meant to be shown. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And what I always say to people too, just because like, you're being brave doesn't mean it feels good. Like oftentimes bravery is actually scary. And, you know, and I appreciate you share, you're, you're talking about and sharing your miscarriage. I, I've had multiple miscarriages. I'm actually having um, a baby via gestational surrogacy. And, um, 
you know, it's it, it's really powerful, right? How much sisterhood there is out there, and how much you know, even though fertility, miscarriage, all of that, it seems like it's a little less taboo. There's still so much shame around around it. And so I do think it's so important uh, to talk about it. And, and for, for the brave ones who can and have the courage to do it, they should. And so I, I really appreciate um, you doing that. So how can listeners follow you and support your work? Yeah. Um, I am on Twitter as at the radar, so T H E and then R A D R, which is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. It's a it's a Jewish thing. That's we do that to people sometimes. Um, the Rambam, Rashi, and I have written a bunch of books. And uh, you can put my name into your favorite bookseller. Indiebound.org is a great one. Um, you know, I'm on Facebook. If you go to my website, DanyaRuttenberg.net, there's a newsletter that I may resurrect someday that you can sign up for. Um, I'm around. I have one last question that I've been thinking a lot about. You know, in 2020, I feel like given the tenor of the conversation and where we're at, what we need today is a lot more love. You know, my my family came here as refugees, and I think about how much support that they got, you know, when they came to this country. And, you know, we're living in a moment where we're locking up babies in cages, and there's just so much vitriol and hate and the inability to bond and have relationships with people who are not like you, who don't believe what you believe. And it's literally, I think, killing us. How do we change that? Can we change that? And, you know, what role does religion and spirituality play? I'm deeply religious. Um, You know, I pray every day. I'm spiritual. Uh, I'm a Hindu. I I feel like um, I've instilled these values in my children. And I think it, I think it really has taught my son how to be kind and compassionate and think about other people. And, 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 and we're losing a lot of religion and spirituality in our life right now. And I wonder if there's a connection between that and, and the fact that we're living in this moment where there's so much, you know, hatred and, and, and vitriol. It's, these are very, very, very scary times, um, to be sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wish more people were able to find a nourishing spiritual practice um, and ideally to connect to a religious tradition that helps to uh, give them some, you know, wisdom and, and grounding and ancient, uh, ancient, ancient tools for figuring out how to navigate the complexity of living in a world where there are other human beings in it. Um of course, you know, sort of fundamentalism is on the rise worldwide in pretty much every religious tradition. And so that makes it even harder to combat because rather than having the attitude of, uh, you know, there's a, a story and a famous teaching in my tradition where um, two rabbis are sitting around trying to decide what's the most important verse in Torah. And Rabbi Kiva says, it's love your neighbor as yourself, obviously. And Benzoma says, no, it's this is the, the book of the generations of Adam, meaning we're all descended from the same original human being. And so instead of having those as the lighthouses that are supposed to guide us home, people are taking on this sort of like, you know, I alone know the true word of God and all of the rest of you are sinners. And so we're in a holy war kind of attitude. And, you know, so I think part of what we need is for more and more people to feel empowered to be nourished by these texts and also to, to be able to, to speak to them and to speak to the people who are claiming that they have the, all the authority and be like, have you read this book? 
have you read the part, you know, for me as a, as a Jew and, you know, Christians also should know that like the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? The Old Testament, whatever, teaches 36 times that you're supposed to take care of the vulnerable non-citizen in your midst. And I, I think that fact is a really important tool that we can, can take to those who are claiming power, right? I mean, there's both the like connected to God and find ways to connect to other people. If we're all part of this great interconnected everythingness, then that means that we need to take care of everybody. Um, but there's also this sort of practical way in which connecting to traditions with integrity can give us the tools to be able to, um, to navigate a world that is exploiting sometimes holy books in the wrong ways. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was like a great conversation. I think our listeners are going to love it. Um, and I feel like I learned so much. That was Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She's written seven books. In addition to the one we discussed about finding spirituality and parenting, she's written one about her religious journey called Surprised by God, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Religion. In just a minute, we're going to get to your fabulous questions. Stay tuned. Hey, everyone. It's Ashley. I am the producer of Brave Not Perfect. And they're here right now to tell me about the questions you've been sending in about religion and spirituality. Okay, let's get started. Um, so we had someone write in who's converting to a new religion. Mm. And they were wondering how to share that news with their family and work up the bravery to go to service. Oof, that is a tough one. Huh. Look, I think that... Um, I personally feel like our relationship with God or religion or spirituality is very personal. And so I think one, it's appreciating that like, you don't owe anybody anything. Like if you have this relationship, this new relationship with God, um, that's wonderful. And you may need to tell your family, but you don't need to get permission or feel guilty about it. Definitely. And I think that if, you know, it's not, um, you know, a rejection of your upbringing or them, make that clear to them. You know, I think that a lot of times families feel really personally about their religion and feel like it's a rejection of them. And so if it's not, maybe laying that out and making that really clear might make it a little bit easier for them to accept. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Ashley. And for the, your question about getting to service, like um, get there when you're ready, right? Don't don't feel rushed. Like when you're ready to go, go. You know, I think one thing you can do is if you've got a friend, mm -hmm. go with them. Or if there's some kind of social gathering, go meet people first. Um, and usually when you're gonna when you're joining something and you're excited about something that other people are excited about, they're gonna be really welcoming. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's a really 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 great point. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I've uh, for me, like everything religion is so beautiful. So I love going to services, all services, and because you know, being in a house of worship or uh, a center for spirituality, you know, it's calming. And you know, remind yourself why you made this decision, and that you know you're welcome in all of God's homes. Good luck. We're so excited for this journey that you're on. Totally. So let's get to our next question. Someone wrote in wondering how they can be modest and bold at the same time. You know, I think it's interesting that this question came in when we put out a call for religion and spirituality questions. Obviously, this is someone who sees modesty as a really important part of their religion, and they really value that. You know, do you think that bravery and modesty are mutually exclusive? And how do you kind of balance those two values? Oh, wow. This is a, I feel like this could be like an entire book. 
Um, I think that so much about modesty, oftentimes, even when it comes to religion, is really directed at women. Yeah. Right. Even in my in, in my religion and in Hinduism, it's very much directed at women. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the way that we've been taught to quote be modest leads to behaviors that do not lead to risk taking and failure and celebrating our wins, etc. And so I, I do think that we have to like kind of tear those two things apart. And really kind of say, what are the implications of my teachings about modesty? How, what implications have they had on my life and on my life choices and on my happiness and on my joy and in finding kind of my destiny or what I call my dharma, what I was put on this earth to do? And I think you need to do some of that soul searching. Yeah, I think this idea of really looking at, you know, the ways that modesty feels right and is serving you and looking at the ways that it might be holding you back a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and the ways that maybe modesty suits who you are. Mm -hmm. And in the ways that you may feel like you're behaving because you're supposed to be that way or you're scared or you don't want to disappoint. You know, this other thing that I was thinking about is there's like, there's really a difference between being confident and believing in yourself and just like bragging all the time and doing whatever you want whenever you want, you know? Yes, yes. Right, like, you know, I think like like being humble. Mm Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I notice when I'm not being humble or other people are not being humble, they're doing it because they're trying to tell you how awesome they are because they actually feel insecure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think monitoring and checking yourself on that behavior is really important too, because to me that falls into the perfectionism tendency and not the bravery tendency. Absolutely. But, you know, if you're applying for a job, like talk yourself up, no need to be modest there. No, and also like when when something awesome has happened to you, like I, I sometimes don't celebrate my wins because I don't want to feel like I'm bragging. But then I haven't really celebrated something amazing that's happened that I've been working my butt off for. Yeah, I think there's a difference between celebration and bragging. Mm. You know, like being like, yes, I'm going to celebrate this moment. And when it's relevant to kind of where I am and what I'm talking about, I might bring it up, but I'm not going to just bring it up all the time and talk about how great I am. Right. That's a good point. Like like randomly in a conversation. So did I tell you that? (laughs) No, it's good. That's right. That's right. I really hope that that's helpful. And I I also just want to thank you for for asking that question, because I think it's a really profound one and and something that I want to think a lot more about. I think you gave some really good advice, Rashma. So our last question for this episode is something I think we're all a little bit more familiar with than we would like to be. Um, Rabbi Danya mentioned it earlier in the episode, and someone wrote in asking for advice on how to stand up to people who are co-opting religion for non-religious purposes and hate. Ugh, this is really, 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 really hard. And I think each of us, you know, may have experienced this um, in our own kind of religious families. I think that I think you, we all have to speak up. I think in many, many ways, religion is getting a bad name because of a few bad people. Mm-hmm. And I think religion is very important and and serves a very important purpose in society. But I think so many people have been leaning out of religion because of of this co-optation. And so I think this is a conversation that we have to have and we have to be afraid uh, to not to not have. And we have to have it in our own families. 
Totally. And I think something else to just think about is, you know, sometimes you're not going to get through to people and just saying the thing is really brave and part of what you need to do. But if you're someone who can understand where they're coming from, you know, if you can meet them kind of where they're at and just give a little push in the right direction, that might be kind of their first step towards the right direction. And Rabbi Danya talked about this. I think the so much of the the those kind of few uh, factions of people that are trying to co-opt, you know, wonderful, beautiful teachings is because so many of us um, feel like, well, I don't fully understand the text. I don't fully understand my religion. And so you almost cede to what you may seem or think is an expert. So the other thing that I invite people to do, and I've been doing this, you know, with um, the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana, which are, you know, the two kind of books in my religion, is really getting into the text, reading, not being afraid to ask questions, um, and and to feeling like I understand my teachings and my religion more. So when people Mm. are using it for bad purposes, I can actually speak up with confidence. Yeah, totally. I think those are some really good tips to combat that hate that you might be seeing. Um, So unfortunately, that's all the time we have for right now. Rashma, I know you love these questions so much. How can people send them in? You can send me an email at bravenotperfect at girlswhocode.com or leave me a voicemail at 347-76-BRAVE. I can't wait to hear from you. So in just a moment, I'm going to let you know about a very special guest who will be joining Reshma on the next episode of the show. But first, I want to remind you to vote for Brave Not Perfect in the Webby Awards. Reshma and I would appreciate it so, so much, and it only takes a minute. Just go to the description of the episode and use the link right at the top. On our next episode, Reshma sits down with the one and only Jamila Jamil for a conversation about bravery and self-care which we could all use right now. You know, self-worth is at the helm of self-care. You know, understanding who you are and your value is the thing that inspires you to protect yourself. You won't want to miss it. Brave Not Perfect comes out every other Tuesday. I'm Ashley Dejan, the executive producer of the show. Tanya Zeperonik and Charlotte Stone are my co-producers, and we, of course, couldn't do it without Deborah Singer. See you in two weeks.